0: Hello and welcome to the Mitton Williams Meet the Maker podcast where we talk about creativity, craftsmanship and collaboration. My name is Bob Mitton. This week we are talking to Ian Morris, head brewer at Electric Bear Brewing, making craft beer on the edge of Bath since 2015. We were fortunate to work with the great team at Electric Bear on a rebrand project recently looking at the visual identity and how that came through into cans, signage and everything in between. And we're really looking forward to talking to Ian more about the industry and craft beer. Hi, Ian, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So, I just wanted to start, can you just tell us, what is craft beer? Craft beer
1: is... depends on who you ask and their perception of it. Generally speaking, it is... um, Small independent breweries, um, brewing uh, high quality beer uh, most of the time. Uh, there's a lot of lot of different breweries out there doing it. Um, but generally speaking, it's small independent breweries uh, with a focus on high quality ingredients and high quality finished product, as opposed to uh, sort of mass produced beer um, that you see coming out of the um, some of the bigger breweries.
0: And what? And sort of just so I get a sense of the size and the amount that is produced from a A smaller brewery, what are we talking about?
1: Small breweries, craft breweries, breweries, microbreweries, they vary in size a lot. Anything from a small, small brewery will be anything from a couple of hundred litres up to thousands and thousands of litres. Um, Electric bear is a 4,000-litre brew kit, so all of our brews, uh, the majority of our breweries are 4,000-litre brews. Uh, If you look at that in terms of pints, it's probably about sort of Seven and a half thousand pints, something like that, roughly speaking. Um, So that's each brew that we do, Um, and we've got nine fermenting vessels, so we can have up to nine different beers um, in tank at any one time.
0: And those tanks, so just to give the listeners a sort of a sense of the size of them, in terms of you know how many feet high and in diameter, what are we talking about? So if we're talking mostly about two meters wide,
1: uh, and probably four meters high. Yeah. something like that so if you held your arms out as wide as you could you might just about be able to reach the diameter of the tank but you yeah. definitely couldn't get your arms around one yeah
0: okay and you've got nine
1: of those sort of we, roughly we've got we've got nine um so six of them are 4,000 litre hmm. we have two that are 2,000 litre so they're half size um so if we're doing. Uh, beers that might not necessarily sell as fast or that might not be as high a demand for. So things like strong um, imperial stouts at 10%, for example, mm-hmm. is never going to sell as fast as a 4.5% parallel. Mm-hmm. So we use them, the two smaller tanks, uh, for those sorts of beers. And then we also have a double size, which is an 8,000 litre, which we double brew into. So we'll do four thousand brew, two 4,000 litre brews to fill that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's our lager tank, a so mixtape, um, our lager uh, is a very popular beer around Bath and the surrounding areas, so we always have our biggest tank filled up with that. Yeah. It's not actually our biggest seller, um, but it takes longer to make a lot of our other beers, so yeah. hence having the bigger
0: tank, because we don't package it quite as often. Mm, okay. And how many have you got on the go at any, at any one time? Are those tanks full all the time, or how does it work? At our busiest times, they're full. Um, at the moment, being January
1: um it's we've probably got out of the nine i think we've got about six yeah i think we've got six four at the moment mm. uh, january and february is always a quiet time throughout the whole industry mm. um, as it is with many industries but beer industry in particular because a lot of people uh, either doing dry january or mm. they've overdone it on the build-up to christmas and going down the pubs the last thing they're choosing to spend their money on uh, for one reason or another People generally don't drink as much in January and February as the rest of the year, mm. and it's. I've been in the industry for sort of over ten years now, and it's always been the same. Every brewery I've worked for, mm. January and February, it's always always quiet.
0: So, why do we just uh, get a sense of, um, you know, so you mentioned mixtape, and obviously there's sort of word and Tondo, the other sort of core beers, are sort of I'm aware of, and then you've got these experimental beers. So I just thought it would be interesting for you just to chat about that and whether that's a, a fairly standard thing within the industry, that they might have a core and a some core beers and experimental beers?
1: Uh, yes and no. It, it is fairly standard across, um, across the sort of craft beer industry with smaller breweries. Uh, generally speaking, bigger breweries generally don't have as many experimental, but then a big part of that is due to their demand for their core products. Um, and... The reason we have a lot of one-offs and a lot of specials and a lot of seasonal beers is based on the demand from the market. So, um, for example, we have a beer called Inspectory Moss. It comes back every um, every Christmas, or not Christmas, normally around November time. sort of on the build-up to Christmas, it comes back. It always does really well. It's a 4.7% porter. Sells extremely well in winter. It's not a big seller over the summer. So because of that, we make it a seasonal beer and we'll just brew it um, over the colder months. Mm and then there's other beers like um, we have a pink lemonade sour that we make Um, it's extremely drinkable when the weather's really hot Mm. so again it's a seasonal one it normally comes back around May June time each year and we have it for a few months Mm. and then it'll disappear again towards the end of summer Mm. Um, throughout the rest of the industry there's no set rule there's no set way of doing things and every brewery is different but generally speaking a lot of the smaller breweries uh, like to be creative and you know, sort of constantly come up with new concepts, new ideas, new beers. And because there's a lot of the, a lot of the competition uh, is doing that, um, it builds a lot of interest for bars and pubs and even consumers that want to try the next best thing all the time. Mm. Or at least the next thing, even if mm. it's not the best thing. It's always always moving forward, the whole mm. whole industry is. And if you look at the industry now compared to 10 years ago, that's even more true now than it was mm. ten years ago with the amount of new beers being released all the time
0: mm. and I certainly that sense of creativity is something i when we we're working with you I really notice that that's uh, it's yeah. not just in the beers, but the whole vibe you get is pretty creative so yeah. so you're creating a new beer. How do you go about that?
1: Sometimes there's some small scale trial and error. It's very hard to then scale things up accurately, so it's not always the best practice to sort of try things small scale and then scale them up. Uh, however, there is a little bit of that. What often works for us is we'll come up with a a concept, um, a style. Uh, it might be based around an event. It might be um, just that we haven't brewed a particular beer style for a while, and we'll use that as a starting point. So one beer is a Irish coffee stout. Mm-hmm. Uh, So that one is something we have been playing around with on a smaller scale. Uh, We've taken some of our other coffee beers that we've made before and played about with sort of mixing um, whiskey into them, mixing um, sort of different sugars into them to try and uh, create more sweetness. Um, And there's been a lot of playing about on a very small scale and seeing what works and what doesn't. Without spoiling uh, the surprise, I think we've got uh, a recipe together now that is going to work at big scale and fingers crossed it'll come out good. Mm-hmm. And then until, until that finished packaged beer comes out the tank, it's hard to know exactly how it's going to come out because it is something outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so and by that I mean some of the ingredients we put in it aren't normally found in beer, whereas if we were making, say... Uh, let's say a 5% pale ale for example mm-hmm. it's something we brew a lot of um sort of that, that sort of abv range and that style of beer um so we know we we, we know before we brew the beer roughly how it's going to come out mm-hmm. um we and that's just through experience of using particular ingredients before using hops before um uh the processes that we go through when making a beer we we know with ipas parallels lagers we're we're fairly confident at the point of writing the recipe as to how it's going to look taste smell whereas the more experimental stuff uh, is where it gets exciting for us as brewers because there is an element of is this going to work is this going to come out good normally it does mm-hmm. we have had one or two which we haven't been so keen on and uh very, very occasionally, we've decided no, we can't release that to the general public. But it's that's a, that's a mistake you don't really want to make. Four thousand liters at a time.
0: <laughs> no, I can imagine. But that's part of the creative process, isn't it? It is. You, yeah. You try things. Hopefully, most of them work. Some of them don't. But that is, you've got to try it, haven't yeah. you? So, so um, just go back to the ingredients. Then, just. Um, Again, for those who maybe you don't know a lot about sort of craft beer. What are the ingredients of a say so you know, like word for example or a mixtape and then give us a sense of what you're doing with those ingredients when you're doing the more exper- experimental uh, beers for example. Okay. Uh, well, the starting point is there's four main ingredients in pretty
1: much all beer. Uh that's water, malted barley, isn't just barley, we'll come on to that in a minute, hops and yeast. So Water, malted grains, I should say, hops and yeast uh, are the four main ingredients um, of pretty much every beer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there are ingredients outside of those such as uh, fruit purees or coffee, vanilla pods, um, cocoa nibs, uh, all all sorts of different stuff you can then start chucking at it. But the four main ingredients, um, one of the big differences is... um, how they're used at what part of the process. So the first thing is w- water and um and the malted grain, they are uh put together in what's called mash tun. Um it creates like a porridge consistency, and during that process, the enzymes that are released um convert any starch, or not any uh, convert a lot of the starch from the grains to sugars that then become fermentable. There's a whole science behind that side of it, as to uh, sort of what temperature uh, you want to mash for, how long you want to mash for. and uh, There's a whole science that can create a whole different range of um, differences to the sweetness, uh, the body, the mouthfeel. For say the pales and IPAs, for example, a lot of the flavours come in from the hops, so it's very hop-forward flavours. Okay. Hops can be added anywhere from the mash tun if you want to. We generally don't, all the way through to just before packaging the beer, and you can get a lot of different effects from those hops. So generally speaking, hops are added for flavour, bitterness and aroma. Um, bitterness is something you get from hops when they're added early on in the boil. And um, So it's had plenty of time to boil the hops, get the what's called alpha acids out of the hops, which create bitterness in beer. Hops that are added later on, you get more flavour, less bitterness. And then all the way through to hops that are added right at the end of the process, um when you dry hopping, which do add a lot of flavor but they also add an extremely large amount of aroma and aroma um, actually plays a massive part on your massive part on your um, taste buds um, so aroma is a really really big thing in brewing um, because it it does make a big difference not everyone always realizes it but it makes a big difference to um, how something's tasting when you can smell it which is why when you go to let's say some Uh, wine places for example they'll say different types of glasses are good for different types of grape variety Mm -hmm. and a big part of that is due to the shape of the glass and how the aroma comes out of the glass and so you'll see in craft beer a lot of the time now you see big wide glasses um, so almost like wine style glasses Mm -hmm. with smaller openings Mm -hmm. it's to get the most out of the aroma that's coming out Mm -hmm. um, which It's something I learned probably when I joined the industry. I wouldn't have put it down as being a thing and having such an impact um, on your taste buds. Mm. But, uh, yeah, sort of 11, 12 years ago, uh, I've really discovered how big an impact it does make. And the industry now really views dry hopping as a really crucial part of some of their beers. So dry hopping is when... Um, hops are added after, or not necessarily after, uh, during or after fermentation, um, as opposed to being added in the brewing side of it during the boil. Yeah. And a massive part of it is from the aromas that you can get out of it. Mm. You can then, if you want to get really sciencey and geeky, go into a thing called biotransformation, which is where you start adding hops during fermentation um, to. Um, Convert some of the compounds that are found within the hops to sort of more favourable compounds uh, in terms of the aromas they can give off. Um, You can really get some interest in tropical flavours and citrusy flavours that you might not necessarily extract uh, from the hops just by adding them sort of in the
0: boil or dry hopping after the beer's finished fermenting. Mm. So that, so you mentioned the boil a couple of times. So, how long are we? How long are you boiling? The, the, well, the malted barley or the malted grains in the water uh,
1: as with everything in the, in the industry there's not a set time right. um, most of our beers are an hour which is fairly standard across a lot of breweries mm. um, however it depends what you're trying to achieve so the majority of our beers are a 60 minute boil if we are brewing a big imperial stout um, we might want to uh, brew it uh, so boil it for longer it's the easiest way to describe it is you're almost looking at that as like a reduction. So you're, okay. re, you're reducing the liquid, increasing the sugar content, thickening up the liquid, if you like. Um, but for the majority of our beers and the majority of a lot of breweries
0: um, of our sort of size, you're normally talking about a 60-minute boil. OK. And so you've boiled <laughs> it for, uh, say, 60 minutes. What ha- What happens next?
1: So depending on the beer, there could then be hops added before anything else is happening mm-hmm. um, and they're in there for both flavour and um, and aroma. You won't get much of the bitterness out of them because the boil process is stopped and it takes time for the alpha acids to work their way into the beer. You still will get a little bit, depends on what temperature you're putting them in at mm-hmm. um, and then from there, the next key step is transferring it from the, um, the kettle or the copper uh, two different names in the industry, but from the vessel that they, it's boiled in across to the fermenting vessel mm-hmm. and that's done via a heat exchanger. So if you imagine you've got the beer boiling at 100 degrees, you want it then down at fermenten- fermentation temperature as soon as it hits the vessel, which that can vary depending on the yeast for the sake of sort of keeping it clear and understandable. You're normally talking around 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um and what the heat exchanger does is it uh, converts. So you've got hot beer going through the heat exchanger one direction, cold beer going through the other direction. So as it comes out the heat exchanger, the other side, the beer that's going into the fermenting vessel is going in at, hopefully, if you've uh, if you set it up right, mm-hmm. at roughly t- fermentation temperature. Mm, okay. And then the reverse effect happens on the water. So the water that you've put, the cold water that you've pushed through to cool the beer down gets heated up from the transfer, and then that goes back into our hot liquor tank. Um, so we've used the heat from one beer to heat the
0: water up for the next day's beer. Yeah, right. Okay. And then the fermentation stage. So how long are we talking? Again, it varies.
1: So a lot of beers, you could be talking anything from sort of f- five days or so up yeah. to a couple of weeks. Yeah, right. um, yeah that varies depending on the ABV you're aiming for. Um, the ABV? High, ABV, alcohol by volume. Yep. The So the higher alcohol um, by volume you're aiming for, the more sugars there are to ferment, mm. therefore the longer it's going to take to ferment. Mm. Uh, another thing that can make a difference is the yeast that you're using. Some yeasts ferment quicker than others. Mm. Um, the temperature you're fermenting at, depending on what yeast you're using, depends on what temperature range you want to stick within. And then within that range, what you're trying to get out of the yeast will depend on what temperature you're setting it at. So um, if you're trying to get sort of lots of fruity esters out of it, you might want to ferment it quite high, depending on the yeast, a high temperature, which will ferment it quicker. On the other hand, you don't want to get too many off flavors, so you don't want to go over the top and ferment it too high something like our lager mixtape is fermented extremely low and um it really lets the molten hops um shine through flavor wise uh, which is i wouldn't say the opposite of the standard in the industry but a lot of sort of the bigger uh a lot of the bigger lager breweries don't ferment anywhere near as long as we do having said that you go to uh, somewhere like munich in germany and you see breweries that are fermenting for the beer sitting in the tank for a couple of months. Right. Which is the same as ours, actually. So mixtape takes us two months to make. It's by far our longest beer. Most of our beers are about three and a half to four weeks. Um, that's normally about eight to eight and a half weeks um, to produce. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot longer, but it is noticeably better as time goes on. So a lot. The first stretch of that is fermentation. And then there's what's called lagering. Uh, we Chill the temperature down and leave it to sit there at a cold temperature while all the yeast um, sort of drops out of the beer. And we taste it normally about once a week um, until it gets towards the end of its time. And you can notice week on week a massive
0: improvement mm. in it. Mm. And then, so after that fermentation stage, what's what happens next? So uh, after fermentation, uh, the beer
1: is then chilled. Um, however, I say it's chilled. There's no set rule. It depends what we're making. Um, As a standard thing, the beer's chilled down uh, and we start taking the yeast out of the bottom. So all the yeast that's been used to ferment the beer will all slowly drop out of the beer and into the bottom of the tank and we'll start removing that. And so our tanks are cone-shaped on the bottom, so it all drops into the cone. We take it off the bottom. Um, After that, we'll then move on to dry hopping if a beer's going to be dry hopped, which, as I said earlier, is when we add hops after fer- dry hopping can be pre during or after fermentation uh, but it's adding them to the fermenting vessel as opposed to adding them um, into the copper or kettle whichever mm-hmm. you want to call it um, uh, not all our beers dry hopped however the majority of them are mm-hmm. so because the majority of what we do is our parallels and ipas the majority of them have some level of dry hop uh, our lager doesn't our Stouts and porters generally don't. However, sometimes our stouts and porters might have something else added. Um, so if we're making a coffee stout, uh, depending on the recipe, we might choose to add the coffee after after fermentation. Not always. We have added it in the copper as well, but that is one one thing that we might add instead of hops. Um, we still call it the dry hopping stage mm-hmm. just, just for the sake of it's that part after fermentation. Um, and then after... After that stage, it's then chilled down again. Hops are removed off of it. It's moved to a packaging tank,
0: um, and then we'll package it from that tank. Okay. And the <clears throat> packaging is what sort of? How long is that that process? Uh,
1: so the actual packaging. Once we get to that stage, we empty a tank in a day. Yeah. So that's um, in
0: typically in, in your case in cans or keg and can. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. We do we do cask as well. Yeah. Um, Our cask beers,
1: generally speaking, are different recipes to our keg and can. So generally, a tank's going either all into cask or it's going into keg and can. Mm -hmm. Um, As a split, we probably do. We're probably about 25% can, 25% cask, 50% keg, roughly speaking, at the moment. That does fluctuate, depending on what we have on. Um, If we get particularly big sales from a supermarket or something, then the can sales fluctuate quite high. On the other hand, uh, at the moment, casks have been doing really well for us, but I think that might be due to what else is available on the market at the moment. Mm. Uh, so it fluctuates a little bit, but it's generally
0: 25% can, 25% cask, 50% keg. Mm. Mm. So and these, some of those uh, um, extra flavours you were talking about earlier, is that something that's been going on like, years and years and years or is that very much a craft brewery thing? It's something that's been going on
1: for years and years to be honest with you. Uh, I think the craft beer movement has sort of emphasised it a little bit maybe. Um, Just because there's some really experimental stuff going on now which never used to be. Um, So something like a coffee stout which pretty much is what it says on the tin, stout with the um, addition of coffee. Um, They've been brewed being brewed for years and years and years however there are some breweries out there that like to take things that step further and do coffee chocolate and vanilla stouts. or um, if we're talking the other end sort of fruity things like you know strawberry cheesecake pale ale. and you know there, there's all sorts of all sorts of stuff out there at the moment mm-hmm. and that craft beer movement if anything has sort of had a bit of an emphasis on you know how creative can
0: we take this mm-hmm. so so the whole craft brewery beer industry as a thing, you know, how long has that been going? What sort of? Because it sort of seemed to, I don't know, ten, twenty years. What's it? What's your sense of? Yeah, there's.
1: In my opinion, it didn't ever start. It's always been around. It's just evolved. Yeah. Because. At the end of the day we're not really doing anything different now to what people were doing 100 years ago Mm. it's just it's evolved so far Mm. and over the last 10 to 15 years so fast as well Mm. so you know we're we're still making very very much the same sort of styles of beer Mm. as what were being made 50 years ago 100 years ago you know we're still making ipas parallels Mm. stouts porters bitters sours you know then none of these styles are new Mm. It's just they've all evolved so far Mm. that a hoppy IPA now that um, is sort of packed full of American hops or Australian hops or New Zealand hops is not the same as what an English IPA 50 years ago would have been. Mm. Um, we, We use a lot of American, Australian, New Zealand hops, and a big part of that is because of the growing climates that they have there. Uh, we do use some really good british hops as well um but hops can be like grapes with wine you can't grow every type of grape in every type of region all around the world because of different climates different soils and we have the same thing with hops you mm. you can't get everything from the uk and mm. um, just like you know you can't get all different grape varieties yeah. from italy mm. um
0: and your and the last few years, is that have you struggled to sort of get you know, get the ingredients sometimes? A... Um,
1: we we've not had a struggle. Um, prices haven't always been friendly. Mm. <laughs> so about probably about five or six years ago now, we saw quite a increase in hot prices,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think a big part of that was down to the demand for them. Mm. Um, there was more demand than what's being produced. However, a lot of hop farms have grown um, to keep up with the demand and hop prices, although they've never come down, they're not shooting up like they were. Mm. Uh, on the flip side of that, malt prices have always been fairly nice to us. Mm. This year we saw a 40% increase mm. and considering it's you know, a very big ingredient in making mm. beer, to have well, I say malt, I'm talking malted barley, um, wheat, oats, mm. um, because, because of that going up. So that was as of this month, 40% increase. And that's, cool. that's not just us, that's something that's been seen across the industry. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're getting a lot of increases. I mean, every industry is suffering from energy prices at the yeah. moment. Yeah. On top of that, we've got more prices. We've got CO2 prices quadrupled. We've got cleaning chemicals tripled in price. And we've got so many prices going up. If we was to put our prices up in line with our costs going up, everyone would be paying over
0: £10 a pint now. Wow. Wow that's extraordinary, yeah, yeah,
1: the reality of it is we can't afford to do that because we'll be shutting down. Mm. there's already too many breweries shutting down at the moment, yeah. and we don't, we don't want to be one of them if no. we can help it yeah,
0: absolutely so
1: the um so the and where what about the multi barley Where does that come in from so the majority of ours is from the u k um not all of it. we do sometimes use some german um some German grains as mm. well. So our lager, uh, we pride ourselves on being all German ingredients. Mm. And there's a particular type of uh, Pilsner malt that we buy in. So a Pilsner, Pilsner is a type of malted barley, um, very good for making lagers. Mm. Um, we buy that in from Germany uh, and a few other malts for that and some other beers we buy from Germany. But other than that, if we can get it in the UK, we do because mm. we grow good barley here. Um, you know, there's a lot of countries in Europe that will import from the UK mm-hmm. um, because we do grow good barley. Mm. So, mm. as much as possible, it's UK based. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, <clears throat> I just want to go back to so um, the tasting. Uh, just give a sort of sense of the, the team of brewers you've got to sort of how how many of you, in terms of, are brewing and doing all the tasting. How does that work?
1: Uh, on the on the production side, there's three of us. However, um, we're very, very keen to get everyone, the whole team, on board with anything from tasting to ideas, um, creativity, because it's it can be very easy to go, right, these people make the beer, these people sell the beer, and then end up with this divide that. you know, the, you know, one team's not talking to the other team enough. You know, we mm-hmm. we do pride ourselves on being a very um, uh, inclusive team. So mm-hmm. we, we all taste the beer. Mm-hmm. We all have our input in it. We're all honest. We all say when we don't like something. We all say when we absolutely love something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there's three of us on the production side. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it comes to tasting and making sure we're doing things right, it's something we all get involved in. Mm-hmm. And we also all understand that not everyone can like everything. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, if someone tells me they like every single beer I've ever made, then I know they're lying to me because your taste buds can't possibly like everything.
0: No. No. And that, again, I I think that's an important part of the creative process, isn't it? That honest feedback saying if you don't like something, why you don't like it. Um, because if you don't get that honest feedback, you know, you'll never, That's that's, that's part yeah. of it, isn't it? Very, very much so. Um it's very easy to be biased
1: towards your own beer as well because mm. you've spent the time and effort making mm. it, but the fact is not every beer is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I I don't I, I don't think we've made a bad beer for a very long time. Yeah. But it doesn't mean every beer is amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's uh, and as you say your taste I mean I remember when I uh, came to the um and did all the tasting, you know that which was fantastic. I was surprised at how many beers there were, but um, it was fascinating just taste being able to have a little bit in that little tasting menu that I thought I did when I came around yeah. um, and just seeing the just the sheer variety of beers um, was was really really good I really enjoyed that part of it so. yeah so we actually we used to make a much wider variety yeah.
1: as I was saying you can't do everything right yeah. not everything can be amazing and we've really honed in now yeah. on what we do best yeah. so there were some styles that we just don't brew anymore because we put our hands up and say we'll leave that to, uh i don't know belgian breweries or, yeah. or or whatever it might be whatever style it might be and there's some styles that just don't work so well for us because they're not our strong point mm-hmm. whereas there's other breweries who make those styles extremely well and don't make
0: some of the styles that we make mm-hmm. so. yeah um so i am. Um, I wanted to come to a, um, a remark that I heard someone when we first sort of we started working with you, and I started telling people that oh, we're going to helping working with this craft brewery. Um, they said uh, said um, craft brewery said it can sometimes seem, and I quote, a bit of an intimidating world full of real enthusiasts and lots of beards. <laughs> I mean, my general sense, you know, before because I tasted a few craft beers, you know. Maybe a few years ago, but I didn't. I didn't get a sense of being intimidating at all. I just my overall sense was it seemed very chilled, very laid back, very welcoming. Again, I just wanted you to share your experiences of it and where where maybe it's changed over the years. There are a lot of enthusiasts, not just
1: working in the industry, but those who just drink the products as well. Mm. And there are a lot of bids, <laughs> both in the industry and those drinking. Um, but intimidating, I've never felt intimidated and I don't ever claim to be, you know, the most knowledgeable person in the industry. Mm. Yeah, I I do what I do well, I think, mm. but I don't ever claim to be the most knowledgeable. And I, but at the same time, I've never felt intimidated. I've always felt, you know, that I can ask anyone anything, whether it's, you know, how I could do something better mm. or... Um, uh, what they think of something that i've done or 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 discuss a beer with someone so i've never felt intimidated at the same time i probably could understand how some people could come into it and you know discover craft beer for the first time and they've got uh, they're in a particular craft beer bar that's got you know sort of 20 taps across the bar and yes. people are all drinking one third measures and discussing it if there happens to be that sort of quiet crowd in that night mm. i could understand you could potentially walk into it and think oh i'm out of my league here mm. i normally just have a pint of whatever mm. but at the same time i've i've never come across anyone in the industry who hasn't been extremely open-minded and, mm. and welcoming to you know to newbies if you like to mm. either the industry or craft beer in general mm. So I, I don't think there's any need for anyone to feel intimidated. If anything, you know, everyone's standing there with arms wide open waiting
0: yeah. to welcome you in. Yeah, and that's certainly my, my experience. It's, um, and I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the, the tap room because obviously where you're placed, on the edge of Bath, in on an industrial estate, but you open the doors up Thursday, Friday, weekends. Fantastic feeling when I walk in there. Really extraordinary place to go and just get a sense of this is where you're making it again is that something that is typical of a lot of um craft breweries or um
1: it is more nowadays if you go back 10 years tap rooms they existed but not not anywhere near to the extreme they do now uh if you go back 5 years they started really sort of showing themselves nowadays if there's a new brewery opening up a tap room is considered before they even make any beer um and a big part of that is it is a from from a financial point of view, you're selling direct to the consumers. Mm. So there's no middleman. You're not selling it to a wholesaler who then sells it to a pub who then mm. sells it at their prices. Mm. You're selling direct to the consumers. So, from a financial point of view, it can be really good. Mm. Having said that, it can also be really good for the customers mm. because when you come into our tap room in Bath, you can get pints for four pound fifty mm-hmm. because we're cutting out all that distribution and middleman and everything else that goes with it i'm not trying to put anyone else in bath out of business because mm. you know they're all our customers yeah. but the beer is priced according to you know the the cost that we have involved
0: yeah. yeah
1: as for our tap room so we're open thursdays to sundays and at the moment there's no in my opinion there's nowhere like it in bath mm. Um, you head over to Bristol it's a bit different there's a lot more breweries a lot more um, tap rooms that are on industrial estates and that sort of thing but the sort of the quirkiness of um, the tap room and being in the industrial state in the industrial unit where it's made being around all the big tanks we have street food vendors in the car park we have DJs on um, comedy nights we do a pub quiz the third Thursday of every month Um yeah, In my opinion, there isn't really a drinking establishment, shall I say. Mm. We're not a pub. We're not a bar. We're a taproom. We're our own thing. Mm. There's not really a drinking establishment like it in Bath at the moment other than than ourselves.
0: And what about sort of further afield in terms, you know, in the, the country, just to get a sense of how many craft brewers there are and whether that number is going up about the same going down what's your what's so what's your sense don't quote me on this because i don't know exact figures but
1: about uh, there's about two and a half thousand um mm. recently mm. um that figure's probably again don't quote me i'm going to say quadrupled at least you know within the last um sort of five to ten years mm. um in fact i think ten years ago there was yeah there was probably you know hundred. There's definitely not thousands, there was yeah, hundreds, okay. whereas you know, it got up to two and a half thousand or so. However, it's declining at the moment. Mm. So over the last few months, um, we've seen about two to three breweries shut down each week. Mm. Unfortunately a couple of really local ones have, which I won't I won't go name anyone, but they it, it's not a nice thing to see because no. the, the the industry, although they are competition, it's always been friendly competition. Yeah. Every brewery helps out every other brewery. You know, we get together and we do collaborations together. We lend each other ingredients, equipment from time to time. You know, we all help each other out. So, you know, to see, you know, sort of fellow breweries shutting down at the rate they are at the moment is quite
0: upsetting. Yeah. And it's all come down to rising costs, unfortunately. You've touched on the challenges of, obviously, the price increase. I just wonder whether you can touch on a, a few of the other challenges that you face when you're on a, like a day-to-day basis when you're making beer. There's a lot of equipment in the brewery mm. <laughs> and
1: as much as it all runs very well most of the time, when something stops working you've got to think quick because if a pump packs up or something and you've got 4,000 litres of beer that you're mm. just about to transfer from tank to tank it can be crucial that that beer gets transferred there and then and um, so in an ideal world, every brewery would have a backup of every piece of equipment. In a realistic world, we have to make do with what we've got sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's challenges can be, uh, sorry, equipment can be a challenge. Um, we are very lucky um, with our staffing. Uh, that hasn't been a challenge. Um, we have we a very good team. Um, but not every brewery is necessarily the same as that. Um, you know, so looking at other breweries, you know, Staffing can be an issue, especially the bigger you get, because small teams obviously work together uh, a lot more closely than bigger teams. So as breweries grow, that can become an issue. Um, Supply of ingredients, normally not an issue. Uh, However, there has been a couple of things sometimes. So I don't know if you remember, but last, no, I think not last year, I think it was the year before, uh, there was a big CO2 shortage. Mm -hmm. Um, That had an effect on us. Uh, because we use a lot of CO2 in the brewery. Um, so not being able to get CO2 as regularly and as uh, sort of as much and as regularly as we wanted to, uh, that had an impact for a short while. There was also a cardboard shortage at one point, which you wouldn't think would affect the beer industry, but trying to send cans out loose doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's supply issues sometimes, occasionally equipment issues, but generally speaking... Generally speaking, as long as everyone can keep their costs down, <laughs> yeah. then
0: we do all right. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so I just wanted to get a sense of how you first got into brewing, and you know, if anyone's sort of really interested in getting into it, how would they how would they go about how would they go about it.
1: I got into it through home brewing, and then deciding I didn't want to drive a van for a living anymore. <laughs> um, I, I I was home brewing for a little while, and then uh at one point decided i'm i can't how I can't remember how old i was mid 20s mid to late 20s i decided i'm done with being a courier uh, i want to uh want to do something fun now and uh i was literally sitting at a, pub, at a bar in a pub looking at a pump clip of uh the beer i was drinking and i thought hmm maybe i should do this for a living <laughs> And uh, I started calling around breweries and getting no's from everyone uh, until I eventually found someone that'd take me on. Uh, they only had work three and a half days a week available, just as a part-time thing. I was like, "It's now or never." You know, if I leave it another five years, I might decide. You know, it's too late to start having a career change and that sort of thing. Having said that, it's never too late. People people change their mind a lot later in life, but I decided. Um, to go for it, I took a massive pay cut because I was earning okay money before and then um, decided actually, I actually want to start brewing. And uh, I did a lot of loan on the job. I've done some official training. You, there are qualifications you can get. Okay. Um, generally speaking, from experience, the qualifications you can get are better to get it while on the job. Mm. Um, just because... The practice may, makes so much the, the qualification or, or the studying for it makes so much more sense when you're doing it in practice otherwise it can be a bit mind-boggling because there's a lot of science involved in brewing everything from sort of the start of the process with you know sort of what temperature you're mixing your water and your grain through to um, sort of the microbiology side of things how yeast to behaving whether you've got any bacterial infections uh, so yeah there's there's a lot of science involved and Sometimes the the official sort of uh, training courses you can do and like um, um, uh, like the diploma, that, the brewing diploma that's available, they can focus quite a bit on the science, which is a good thing because it gives you a really good um, background. But to be honest with you, if you want to get into it, the best way is just to try and find work in a brewery. Yeah. So at, at Electric Bear, um, Chris, one of our brewers, he used to work in our tap room when he was at uni. Mm. Um, he, for part of his degree, I can't remember exactly what his degree is, it's some sort of engineering, for part of his degree, um, he'd done okay. some work at Gypsy Hill Brewery in London. Okay. Uh, from there, he then went on to work at Tony Rebel in Wales, and, uh, now he's back with us, um, as a brewer. Okay, um, cool. and we've had it with a few taproom staff where they've, they've started as the a taproom and then stepped up um sam our other brewer he didn't work for us but he was working at, in a tap room in australia where he was living at the time and um he actually got the job through so someone that we had working in our tap room moved to australia and basically said our oh, mates moving back from australia and looking for work in brewing so it wasn't a dumb deal that he got the job but um being even if you're starting in off just working on a bar in a tap room it's a f- it's your first foot through the door to to actually jumping onto that ladder of becoming a brewer. Yeah. Loads of people when they start out, they start out by washing casks and sweeping floors. Yeah. Almost almost everyone in the industry does. You know you mopping uh, mopping floors, sweeping floors, cleaning vessels, yeah. cleaning tanks. Uh, people say that eighty percent of a brewer's job is cleaning, and it's yeah. so true. Yeah. Like, you're literally you're cleaning and cleaning and cleaning you're cleaning vessels before you use them, cleaning them after you use them, every time you want to move a beer from one tank to another you're cleaning all the lines and everything
0: and uh, it has to be a hygienic environment um, or else you do get infections so Yeah no interesting and I can totally understand sort of if you like learning on the job and getting, mucking in as it were, it's that's the best way to learn often yeah. isn't it so what about your, I imagine your over time your taste buds must have become really refined in terms of if you're tasting on a regular basis is that um yes they do and you notice things um at the
1: same time there are some things some people's taste buds just don't pick up that well and we we find that sometimes in the brewery some elements of a something that you're looking for flavor wise some people will pick up more than others um so one with me, which is a bit of a funny one. I mean, we don't we don't ever really use it in beer. We have done once. Uh, is ginger. Okay. I love ginger, but I have to have a lot of it to be able to taste it. Whereas you know, other people pick it up in something very quickly. And you get the same in beer, um, different flavors. You know, if, if someone's looking for, say, a particularly malty flavor, someone's taste buds will pick it up more than someone else's. And although your taste buds do get more in tune... They still are your taste buds, and they still, are, you know, they still are just the taste receptors in your mouth. So, it, if anything, they don't change. It's just you know your perception of what you can and can't pick up, mm. uh, flavour wise, changes a little bit. Mm. Mm. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of in the brewing industry. Well, I'm sure in other industries as well, but a lot of people do sensory um, sensory courses uh, okay. where um, it's sort of like official training where you can learn to pick up on certain flavors in beer certain off flavors things you're looking for things you know if there is some sort of infection for example uh, to be able to pick up pick up what it is with your taste buds Mm. is the first step to you know being able to rectify the issue Mm. um i mean a lot of the time if that does become an issue you then go down the route of sort of doing lab testing and that sort of thing but your sensory um so sort of your sense of taste and sense of smell should be your first port of call mm. um really before you know going down the route of you know investigating why something might taste a certain way, why something might smell a certain way mm. and we taste our beer you know its taste as we're brewing it, we taste it as it's fermenting as it's dry hot before packaging during packaging you know it's being tasted the whole time um, and we we are quite dependent on on our taste buds and sense of smell. Mm.
0: So I just wanted to touch on uh, the packaging, and we touched on this earlier about the creativity within the industry. See, we started to get a real sense of this when we were working on the rebrand with you and looking at the packaging. It is a very creative world, and the packaging of the cans and the bottles that you see is a, for me as a designer, but it's a key part of it. And trying to find the right packaging for the right brewery and the right beer is a really interesting part of it and something I don't get a sense of with other beers, if you like. It would be interesting for you just to talk through that a little bit more and your experience of that. Um, yes, yeah, so more
1: traditional breweries, generally speaking, the the design and the artwork side of things uh, doesn't play as big a part in the in their um in their business or in their products. For us it plays a very big part. For a lot of other craft breweries it does as well. Mm. Having said that, there are some breweries that take it to the extreme and, and so they take it to the extreme the other way and they almost pride themselves on having no artwork at all. Um, and literally it'll be, you know, a completely blank colour can uh, with one colour text on it. That works for them. That's fine. Uh, if anything, they're, they are taking the design to the extreme of saying, you know, how plain can we get this sort of thing? Uh, for us, the um, we used to have um, external, um, we used to use an external artwork company, and they've done very good. You know, they they produce some uh, good artwork for us and that sort of thing, but we then really wanted to hone in on it and make it a bigger part of... Um, bigger part of the product um, so we have our own in-house designer mm. um, he deals with everything from designing cans to uh, content for social media mm. through to any banners, posters we might need, any merchandise, t-shirts um, we have a lot of events going on in the taproom so he's always doing stuff for them as well to promote them events um, and um, we, we take it really really seriously some other breweries do as well there, there isn't really a set thing within the industry as to you know breweries have their own in-house designers or breweries you know try and stick to a concept or anything like that however everyone's, everyone does their own thing um, however there is a lot of creativity within the industry and a lot of um, um, a lot of breweries nowadays you know really pride themselves on some of the artwork they're producing and that sort of thing mm. so it's Yeah, as with many things within this industry, there's not a there's not a norm, there's not a set thing, um, but there is a lot of creativity, and people, other brewers like to express uh, themselves not just through their beers but through their artwork as Mm. well. Mm. So Connor, who does all our artwork, um, he does a really good job of um, sort of keeping everything consistent nowadays. So as you know, we rebranded in october last year um and at the point of rebranding the, the artwork took a different direction um, and that's that's something that stayed uh consi- i mean it's only been a few months mm. since rebrand but it, the artwork feels a lot more consistent now mm. um, than it has done before uh, we had some good artwork before but if anything it was a bit like bit wishy-washy sometimes yeah. every piece of artwork was good mm. but it didn't necessarily have a running theme through it and it didn't necessarily feel like a complete package mm. of course everything from can design through to website through to what people are seeing um, on merchandise etc yeah. etc cetera, et cetera. Mm. so um, yeah it plays a big part in it for us and it's really good that we've got this new direction with our new branding mm. uh, it feels like you know it's, it's, we feel like it's got a really professional look now as well as still having a very high level of creativity that can come through with every new beer that we make. Yeah. Great, good. A, a lot of the time the, the can designs and the keg badges for the, um, beer, for the beers, a lot of the time the designs are um, they'll be linked to the beer in one way or another, sometimes it'll be quite obvious um, sometimes it'll be a play on the names and then it, the Artwork might be based around a name. Um, Other times it might be a hidden message in there somewhere um, or a hidden joke or something that's gone on in the brewery and if you know, you know sort of thing. There's a lot of that that goes into beer names and can designs and um, cake badge designs. A lot of times it's, you know, if you know, you know, and when you do know, it's actually hilarious. (laughs)
0: I think for me, that's all part of it. That's all part of the brand. And that's what I really liked about it. after yeah. The names and the creativity that was coming through and expressed not only in the beer, but in the way that's coming through in the brand, all the comms and all the uh, packaging. I think it's just fantastic. So, yeah. Um, good. And I, I, so I just also wanted to touch on the uh, sense of building a community and being part of that community, because... You know, on the times I visited the tap room, you do get a sense of really you are being part of that community and you're building it. And again, it would be good to hear you talk through that a little bit more.
1: So we like to think of ourselves as sort of the community hub for anyone, not just in the industry, but anyone who has any interest in wanting to come down to the tap room to have a pint, wants to sit there on a Sunday afternoon with their dog. Mm-hmm through to um making ourselves uh, present at local events um we've never had as strong a presence uh, in bath as we have now uh, and we really are focusing on you know being that community brewery mm-hmm. um sort of independently owned but community driven brewery within bath mm-hmm. um, where you know we, we like to think that we've got a beer for everyone um, we don't make every style of beer, but we like to think that there is a style within our range that is suitable for everyone unless you really don't like beer and there's not a lot we can do about that um and you know with the tap room especially it's we like to treat it as a place that anyone can come anyone's welcome you can bring your kids, you can bring your dogs you can you know come down for a quiet pint if that's what you want to do. you can come down and have a you know whole day session if that's what you want to do. The, you know, no one's ruled out. Um, we team up with local businesses for everything from collaborations for using the ingredients in the beer through to what food vendors we have down at the taproom. Um we like to give anyone a chance when it comes to if they want to DJ or play down the tap room or anything like that. You know, we're always open to ideas and always want you know, always want to be that community. Brewery, that community tap room that everyone can turn to and everyone can be part of.
0: And lastly, plans for the future. Um,
1: sell more beer, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we've got a few different uh, ideas lined up for beers we're doing. I mean, we we always have, to be honest. We've always thinking sort of a few months ahead, uh, if not sort of if not longer, as to what what beers we want to be um, producing. Um, We've got a few ideas for the taproom. I uh, don't want to say too much in case they don't happen, but um, things other than the usual sort of food vendors, bands, DJs, we've got some things outside of that, some events that you wouldn't necessarily associate with, um, with a brewery, sort of letting, letting people or other small businesses use the brewery as a, um, as a workspace um, for like workshops and that sort of thing. Um, so hopefully we'll be seeing a bit of that coming up this year uh getting out to a few more festivals than that this year um it's been a tough few years mm. um uh it's it's hard to imagine it, but it 's been three years since the start of covid mm. and uh yeah then three three years haven 't been the easiest for us or for a lot of people mm. um so we won't they 've changed us as a brewery we We've got a massive online presence now. Our tap from now seems to do better than it ever did before, and I think that's because of the real emphasis on being there for people and being that community place. Mm-hmm. Pub sales are okay; they're not, they're different to what they were before COVID. It's not that they're worse; they're just different. Pubs' buying habits have changed. Some of our what used to be key customers are no longer key customers, but then we've got other ones that are. Mm-hmm. So it's. It's hard to look past the next six months or so because it's been such a change in few years, but I'd like to think that, you know, what we're doing in Bath, especially, um, sort of really, you know, being, you know, sort of there, you're having a real big presence in Bath, whether it is in small cafes or some of the sort of more bigger pubs that are owned by bigger chains, you know, we want to try and be there as much as possible. Um, Obviously it's nice to get your beer everywhere for afield field as well, but yeah, there's been a real focus recently on Bath um, and the local surrounding areas. And we're going to keep pushing that and keep growing that um, because it's quite rewarding when you know, you're out and about and people know your beer. whether Even if it's not on the bar somewhere, you hear people talking about it or whatever. It's quite rewarding um, to have that. And when you're sending your beer all over the place like we used to, you don't always hear that feedback. Uh,
0: as much as I don't want to get big-headed about it or anything, it is nice to hear it. So. Mm. Well, look, I um, I wish you uh, every success. Thank you so much for coming and doing this session with us. It's been really, really Cheers. good hearing you talk about the whole craft brewery industry and electric bear. Um And, uh, yeah, I wish you every continued success. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our producer, Steph Winnard, at All About Creative. If you would like to know more about Electric Bear or craft beer, go to electricbearbrewing.com. And if you would like to know more about these podcasts, go to maidenbath.co.uk. If you'd like to know more about our branded design work, please go to Mitton Williams, that's M Y T T O N Williams.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.